Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there. I am I am so concerned that I am going to sneeze. <laughs> yeah. Sneezing is not allowed while one's uh, doing a show. And I, I've just been suppressing one. So if, in fact, it happens, I zoom tight to me, um, you know, just, I'm sorry. God, I hope I don't. I'm not one of those, you know, little sneezers. I'm a, you know, blow the place away sneezer. Anyway, let's get started and, you know, the hell with it. It uh, happens to be Thursday, July 15th. I mentioned to you yesterday on on leaving that um, <clears throat> during the enforced uh, pandemic isolation, I uh, I took to ordering food in because I mean it, it, you can cook. I kept cooking the same things over and over. I was so sick of it I couldn't see straight. So I started to order from all kinds of restaurants from Grubhub. It's one of those services, right? That gets you gets you food from all over the place, lickety split. And uh I really got addicted to it. And I felt good about myself because I thought you're supposed to support your local restaurants. And I thought, I'm supporting my local restaurants. And then I thought, and I'm such a good person, that I am custom tipping because they have tip for driver, 15%, 20%, 30% custom. And I'd customize it and give those poor drivers because I'm thinking they ain't getting anything. They're risking their lives to bring me food. So I felt so good all around. I was helping small restaurants and small businesses survive. I was helping these poor drivers who are working, you know, one of the crap jobs that our economy offers up. And I'm getting food and not having to cook. What could be more wonderful? Then I read Kim Rooney's story. Hey, Kim Rooney works for Pittsburgh City Paper. You might have heard of it. And she wrote a story, I don't know, about three weeks ago, two weeks ago. That took the wind out of my sails, and I ain't ever going to feel good about using Grubhub again. In fact, I'm not going to use Grubhub again. Kim Rooney joins us. Hi, Kim. You changed my life. <laughs> Hi, Lynn. Great to join you. Hi. <laughs> you really, I mean, you really... That story had quite an impact. Um, tell me, uh, tell me why I was so wrong about what I was thinking. I, I, I mean, I just assumed that I was, I was supporting local restaurants. I was. Yeah, I, I mean that's that's the way that a lot of their advertising also encourages people to think. Um, you know, a lot of, if you look at their ads, a lot of the ads will say things like, oh, eat local, support local businesses. But in fact, uh, very often they're taking uh, like 20 to 40 percent 
uh, out of whatever the restaurants are making in what's called delivery fees. Um, and that's a significant amount of money for restaurants, which already function on like very small margins. And unfortunately, a lot of these delivery apps will also place restaurants higher or lower in the search listings based on how many, how much the restaurants are willing or able to pay in delivery fees. Oh my gosh. So wait a minute. So the, it's not a set fee. So, so some poor restaurant who's, you know, maybe a mod pop operation is going to be charged 40%. Uh, I mean, they're, they're going to lose 40% of what I'm think I'm paying them. <laughs> and, and um, because they're not able to uh, afford, to, I mean, I don't even understand this. It seems like so. It's a shakedown of of the little guy. Yeah, by these delivery uh, the services. restaurant owners who I talked to, because uh, I talked to three restaurant owners in Pittsburgh, said that their fees were usually up to thirty percent. Um, but I, in researching for this story. Uh, saw other sources saying that it's usually within the 20 to 40 percent range um, across the United States. So just so I understand this, I have to tell you, I am uh, mathematically uh, uh, just, you know, totally. Uh, can you say handicapped anymore? Is that a word we can use? I am totally, you know, screwed up. So let's say I order something from a restaurant mm -hmm. through Grubhub. It's uh, let's say forty dollars. It's a forty dollar order, um, and that's based on the restaurant's pricing. And and then there is a what? A, I'm paying a little bit of a delivery fee that I'm aware of. Um, mm -hmm. And and so, what is the restaurant? Okay, my forty dollar order. If what does the restaurant end up getting? They don't get anywhere near forty bucks. Then they get. 20 something? Yeah, I believe I'm also mathematically disinclined. I <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, wow. so that would be $28. And unfortunately, you know, restaurants still have to pay rent, they still have to pay utilities, they still have to pay for the raw materials, the food, and the delivery cartons. And um, for restaurants that serve alcohol or bars, they have to pay for liquor licenses as well. And all of that costs a lot of money. And with, you know, this much being like this significant percentage being taken out of their typical prices, it's more and more difficult for them to keep well, up with the rest of those costs. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm actually thinking, wait a minute. So for me ordering from them, I might, in fact, be costing them money. Are they making anything on some of these orders? They're losing money. So one of the restaurant owners I talked to who ended up requesting anonymity for this story um, was telling me how they, over the course of the pandemic, have no longer been able to pay for chefs pay for front of house staff. So 
she and her husband have just been doing everything. They work every day of the week because their restaurant is open six days. The one day that the restaurant is closed, they're using that to pick up food, um, you know, shopping for ingredients because they can no longer afford to have them delivered. And wait a minute, yeah, wait a minute, uh, Kim. This is really this is upsetting. So, in other words, this small restaurant ended up. Uh, they had to lay off their chef and a front, you know, somebody in the front of the restaurant. They're doing everything themselves, and this is all because of the money they're losing to these delivery services, Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats, right? That's what they told so I, Yeah. Okay, so I'm costing – I think I'm saving their business, and instead I cost two of their employees their jobs, and these poor souls are working seven days a week trying to stay mm-hmm. afloat. This is a – this is a yeah. – just – this is a typical American capitalism business plan we got going here. This is disgusting. It really is. You said, yeah. So, so it's surprising that you said they, the restaurant owners would speak to you, but mostly only anonymously because they're actually afraid of these people uh, hurting them even further. Yeah, so two of the restaurant owners I spoke to uh, were all right with being named in the story. So uh, Curtis Gamble from Station in Bloomfield and then Mike Murphy from Carson Street Deli in Southside were both willing to talk to me um, and have their names on the record. But for the third restaurant owner, she was really worried about retaliation from the apps because she already has had so much difficulty talking to them. Um, and trying to negotiate fees because, like I mentioned earlier, the apps will move a restaurant's listing down in a search if the restaurant doesn't pay higher fees. And, you know, for a lot of smaller shops, um, that's something that they can't afford to not appear in, like, the first or even second page of a search. Well, so, you know, stop and think for those of you who don't use these services. I mean, and I'm not good on, you know, apps and the internet, but I learned how to navigate this. And let's say you want Thai food. Well, there's a million little, there's a million little Thai restaurants, Ma and Pa fairs with wondrous food. And I, you know, I just, so you're saying that if they don't play ball with these guys, um, they will, if I'm looking for a Thai restaurant, I'm never going to get to their name. I mean, they're, they're, they're being dropped down the list because there's a ton of them. There really are. So the mm-hmm. big boys will always be on top on those lists because they can afford to be. Yeah. And especially if it comes to larger chains, um, right. especially national or international chains, they can make, and they do make deals with these apps to negotiate lower fees than what independent mom and shop mom and pop shops uh can negotiate for themselves. Oh god. Well, there goes my dinner plans. What are we gonna do <laughs> well, about that's the what are we gonna... Yeah. It doesn't have to be the end of your dinner plans because uh for the for uh station and Carson Street Deli, both of them are deliver, uh, developing their own delivery services. 
that are available through their websites. And most of these other restaurants will still take orders via phone. Some of them have uh, also set up their own online order systems. Um, just from my own experiences ordering out um, in Pittsburgh, I know that Everyday Noodles and uh, Citron Gourmet both have their own online delivery systems. Um, and most of these places will still accept phone calls. So your advice, if we want to be uh, morally and ethically, uh, you know, good consumers in this case is, is to not use these third parties because they're pulling out a ton of the profit and they really have done nothing that you can not do maybe some other way. Yeah, right. there are some there are some places that uh, are only set up through delivery apps and uh, will tell you such. But for a lot of these other places, if you are able to order, if you you know are willing to put in a couple extra minutes, look up the place and see you know do they have an, do they have their own online delivery platform? Uh, do they have a number that you can call into to order? That would be a better way to support these restaurants because ultimately they get to keep more of that money than if you go through a third-party app. Now, I, I understand that uh, a state representative <clears throat> from around here, Sarah in Amarato, uh, is mm -hmm. thinking of or has introduced a bill that would help these restaurants by capping the the percentage charge that these Delivery apps can can uh, impose on the restaurants. Is that true? Yeah. So uh, Inamorato uh, introduced this uh, amendment to um, a really old, quite frankly, piece of legislation uh, that would limit delivery fees to 10%, and then any non-delivery fees, so any miscellaneous fees that the apps would charge restaurants. Uh, to 5% of the purchase price okay. of a customer's order. Wait a minute. You said a really, she attached this to a really old piece of legislation, which suggests that this piece of legislation is moldering somewhere uh, in, in the state legislature in Harrisburg. So uh, the unfair trade practices and consumer protection law is from 1968. Uh, so, yeah, well, they didn't have delivery apps in 1968. No, so it, they it did not. Amended. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but um, if she's a progressive. God knows the state legislature is not progressive. My bet is anything authored by Sarah Inamorato isn't going to get it out of committee. Unfortunately, uh, she also recognized that reality. Um, and she even told me uh, that very often introducing these kinds of legislation, this kind of legislation, um, isn't always about, you know, Pass, actually it getting it passed. Yeah. 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 But because, you know, it shows what they stand for. It shows the direction that they want the party to head in. Uh, that they want the state to head in, which is 
admittedly a little disheartening. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I would hope that with reading this story, in addition to people changing their habits with ordering from, uh, well, instead of ordering from delivery apps, going right to the source and ordering directly from restaurants that, you know, maybe they'll reach out to their state representatives and tell mm-hmm. them that, you know, they want to support local businesses. And so that yeah. they would hope that their state representative would also support this piece of legislation. Well, Kim, I, I, I thank you for uh, opening my and I'm sure I'm I'm not. I, I understand that this particular story is the most read story, what, of the year in, for City Paper? I mean, it really got a lot of eyeballs, and I'm sure people passed this information around. Uh, as I said, I think a lot of us thought we were doing sort of something good, and uh, boy, uh, we were not. And there's a better way to support these restaurants than going through these rapacious revolting capitalist entities, uh, Grubhub. And that, that's the biggie here, isn't it? Grubhub is the biggest one here in this market. They tend to be monopolistic, right, in, in each market. They do, yeah. So a lot of the uh, national delivery apps will uh, basically have an agreement that one or the other will dominate certain metropolitan areas. You know what? That's like illegal. That used to be friggin' illegal. That that used to be, you know, like uh, you know, where they're fixing prices in industries and agreeing not to really compete with each other. God, all right. Yeah. Do not use these things. Don't use them. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, and I mean, the hope with this story, I'm really not trying to shame anyone who's used them before, because you know, even I am. I've used them before, uh, <laughs> you know, okay. before doing the research for the story. And I think that a lot of people kind of knew that there was, you know, maybe something not great about the app, but didn't know the specifics or didn't know the extent of it. And, right, right. Yeah. And so I don't think shaming people is uh, always the best way to go because, you know, sometimes it can lead to people just doubling down on their actions. So I would hope that. You know, if anything, the story and, you know, maybe this radio show is educational um, and can gently encourage change in behavior. Well, that is a beautiful way to end this. And and actually what you've done is shame me. (laughs) You who are saying you shouldn't shame people. You shame me because that's been my I, I spend half my time on this show shaming people. Oh boy, you're absolutely right. It is not the way to to get people to change their behavior. It is not. You're absolutely right. Thank you so much. You're wise beyond your years. And I mean it. So Kim, thanks and keep up the good work. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. Thanks for having me on the show. Sure. My pleasure. Thank you. Oh, damn. So I got to go back to cooking. (laughs) No, I mean, she's right. Okay. She's right. So I got to change the topic here. Um, I want to start with just something that came in um, 
uh, and I did not know about, and I thank one of you for alerting me to it. And it's a sad news. It's of the passing of uh, one of Pittsburgh's original television personalities. And uh, they, uh, Ricky Wirtz. And now I didn't know from which Ricky Wirtz because I didn't grow up here, but she, she did the kind of jobs in television that women were allowed to do in television. Uh, she had a children's show, Ricky and Copper. And if you grew up in Pittsburgh and are of a certain uh, advanced age, odds are you, you watched it. And, um, and then she did for a little while, she was the weather girl. This is all at WTAE, the television station I, that, that got me to Pittsburgh. Um, and like uh, another uh, recently deceased uh, female uh, broadcasting legend, Eleanor Shano, in doing, uh, she did a little bit of the weather. Both of them, I, I knew Eleanor had, and I learned from the obituary that poor Ricky Wirtz also had to do the weather sitting on a frigging bed in a negligee and in between talking about uh, the cloudy skies and potential for rain, she would talk about how wonderful this mattress was she was sitting on. So it was an ad for the mattress company. And this is how women, we women were, I, my first job in broadcasting was a weekend weather girl. That's how we got in. God, I don't think I ever would have done it in a negligee on a mattress, but that's because people like Ricky Wirtz and Eleanor Shano did and uh, and then got in the door and showed that they were fully capable of doing all the stuff the guys were doing too. Anyway, Ricky and Copper, Copper was her dog, I understand. And uh, there's a funny line in the obit that uh, often when she was like out to dinner or something and someone would recognize her, this is like, you know, 30 years after the show is off the air, somebody would say to her, how's copper? <laughs> she always had a one word response. Dead. Yeah, I guess so. All right. Um, anyway. For those of you, it was Kurt who sent it to me, and he also said that he still has – she did a um, – what was it? Some kind of a, a high school quiz show, and he still has um, apparently – what is it? I'll, I'll find it here. Oh, he has a cup saying, winner – 1973-74 junior high quiz and it's still he says graces a shelf in our dining room <laughs> i i hope it's sort of a joke right <laughs> sort of a joke was was that the high point of uh of your career oh that's funny all right no more funny. I got a bunch of stuff. Well, this is wonderful. Today is the day that a lot of uh, beleaguered, low and middle income American families 
are going to see deposits being made or checks being mailed. Well, the ones with the checks being mailed won't see them immediately. Um, money from the government for their children. And families um, are receiving up to $350 a month for every child they have under six years of age and 300, I believe, for every child six to 17. And never before has our, by the way, other countries do this. They just say it is important and it will accrue to our benefit in the future if we ensure that those our families, our families who are bearing children, who will be the, the workers and the taxpayers of tomorrow, are able to, you know, feed them, clothe them, give them the kinds of things that will ensure their success. Republicans, of course, call, of course, call it welfare. Well, it ain't welfare if it's going to the majority of people. I'm sorry. It is a different way of thinking of what government is intended to do. And I'll tell you, <coughs> I would pay. I, do you think I like where my taxes go now? To buying overpriced crapola for the Pentagon so we can go and destroy some beleaguered country somewhere uh, saying we're attempting to save it? Um, I No. I would, I, this is the kind of thing I would want my tax dollars to go, to go to. And every economic numbers cruncher looking at the impact of these payments say that it will cut child poverty in this country, which is outrageously high, in half. Wow. Half the kids in Pittsburgh who are now living in poverty stand to be pulled out of it by virtue of the payments that their mothers and fathers are going to be receiving. Not a friggin' Republican, of course, voted for this. In a country with some of the highest child poverty rates of any supposedly civilized nation. And even families that would not say that they're living in poverty, but they're pretty much living paycheck to paycheck. This will allow them. Nine out of 10 American kids are going to qualify for this. Because as you know, all the richness of this country is not anywhere near equally distributed. It's all being you know, grabbed by the top 3%. And everybody else is making do. The New York Times in reporting this the other day that this was these payments were going to start 
um, talk to parents and about the impact it would have on them. And my gosh, I mean, some of them are just, you know, they're over the moon. One, one woman said, um, I'm not, I'm not really sure I can believe it. Is it really? Am I, I can't believe this. That's an American because no American expects, no little American expects the government of this country to have their backs, to be using the power and wealth of this country to help them. And then they spoke to this guy who's been jobless for over a year, and he's clearly a Republican. And he says this, I'm a Christian. I rely on God more than I rely on the government. Now, this is typical. This guy has four children. He has no job. And he has been getting by on food stamps and unemployment compensation. And this is a guy who says he doesn't rely on government. Who the hell does he think is sending him the food stamps and the unemployment compensation? Those are governmental programs. And he is so high and mighty that he says he's not going to accept the $1,150 a year, a month that he's going to be given by the government. He says government assistance is a form of slavery. I'm not going to be someone who's living off the system. This is a guy who's been propagandized and his head doesn't work right anymore. He doesn't even understand his own, what benefits his children. God, he's putting his faith in God. How about, you know, it never occurs to him that God, this is the way that God might be working through the governmental structure, not that I believe that, to help him. God's not going to show up at his door with the with what he needs, but the government might send him something that'll help. This is only going to last for, I guess, a little over a year. Is that right? And if the 2022 elections put Republicans back in charge. It'll be gone. But the thing about something like this is once families start getting this, it's like Obamacare, right? No matter what they've been brainwashed to believe, they start really appreciating it. And if we keep our government in the hands of the Democrats, 
and this becomes permanent, it won't go anywhere. No one would dare take it away, even the Republicans. And it will continue to cut child poverty and lift our children up. It will be as big a change, a social change in our country as Social Security was. So it's going to be huge. Of course, the Republicans are, think that all the people will do. They're going to get the money, and they're just going to you know, toss it to the winds. And that is because Republicans don't really see needy people, the, the lower people as they see them, as anything but indolent, parasitic idiots or something. They don't think they really love their children, I guess. They don't think that they're capable of desiring for themselves and their children what these friggin' politicians would want for theirs. So it's always the Republicans who assume and that this will be ill-spent. Here is what one Republican said. Oh, excuse me, this is Marco Rubio. But Marco Rubio said, it's going to provide free money for criminals and addicts. Do you believe that? It's going to provide for millions upon millions of American children. And last time I looked, they are neither criminals nor addicts. Unbelievable. Um, Mr. X wants to know if I'm able to post the article about an American kingdom. Didn't we did post that? It's on my Facebook. Page. Can you get to that? What's my Facebook page? Lynn Cullen Live? <laughs> I personally don't go to my Facebook page, but it's on there. Um, uh, I think. And I, I hope you can find it there. That was a, what was it, a Washington Post article. So you could also, you know, try to get it through uh, WashingtonPost.com and, you know, search for an American kingdom. Uh, this is a, this is a story about, uh, Oh God, about those churches, those so-called churches. They're not, they're, they're, uh, they're brainwashing centers. And, uh, throw Trump education centers. Ed says, why do you think that the Democrat, no Democrat, encouraged the party to call this child support bill pro-life 2.0? Well, it really is pro-life, isn't it? 
This is caring for the children that are not in utero, which is something Republicans just, I, they can't get too, uh, too excited about children who are not in utero. In utero, oh my God, can they get worked up. Now, once that kid enters into this, I think, God-forsaken world, uh, well, then he, uh, that kid, depending on where he's born and who he's born to, uh, will be dismissed as a criminal or an addict or a soon-to-be criminal and addict, right? Unbelievable. Okay, so just if you haven't uh, perused the news papers, uh, today there's some God, there's some blockbuster stories. There's there's one out of uh, the Guardian, which is you know a a reputable, I would call it a reputable. Uh, it's sort of uh, yeah, it's a reputable newspaper. It, it leans left, but they. Um, are reporting that they somebody and this is this is extraordinary in fact that some documents have um been leaked out of the Kremlin which would be unbelievable and uh it's like essentially minutes of a closed session of Russia's National Security Council and People who know about, you know, Kremlin, Kremlinologists, as they're they're called, <laughs> are saying that this thing appears to be genuine, and even incidental details come across as accurate, and just the tone of it and everything about it is consistent with uh, with how Kremlin security uh, operates. Of course, the Kremlin is saying, oh, pulp fiction. That's what, in fact, they said. Um, it's classified as secret. And this is from a meeting in 2016. And damn if it doesn't show that they were looking at Donald Trump. The word in. Russian, which I'm now about to mispronounce, <laughs> they were looking at Trump as perspectivity. <laughs> Excuse me. Which means the most promising candidate. In this document, there's a brief cycle. I'm sorry, so so much for sneezing. <coughs> I'm going to cough to death. There's a psych psychological assessment of Trump in this. By the way, you know, Vladimir Putin is over is the head of this meeting. He's in the meeting, and a uh, a Kremlin assessment of Trump is put into the record. And he is described 
see if they don't have this, just have him dead on. No, they don't say narcissist. They don't say bully. They say this, besides that he's a most promising candidate for us. They say Trump is, quote, impulsive, mentally unstable. He is an unbalanced individual who suffers from an inferiority complex. As do almost all bullies. Well, they they nailed him. It also suggests and appears to confirm that the Kremlin does in fact have dirt on him from his, what in the document says, his earlier non-official visits to the Russian Federation. Uh, I'll give you a few more quotes from this. It is acutely necessary to use all possible force to facilitate his election to the post of U.S. president. He would definitely lead to the destabilization of the U.S.'s socio-political system. Well, man, you got to hand it to him. They were right. And that's why they and shortly after this meeting, I guess, is when those Hillary Clinton. uh, Remember, leaked emails came out that clearly had a a Russian uh, connection and source. Um, all of their spy agency were spy agencies were tasked with uh, preparing for this push to get Donald Trump into uh, the White House. The Guardian article says this, written in bureaucratic language, the papers appear to offer an unprecedented glimpse into the usually hidden world of Russian government decision-making. And the papers really seem to set out just a map for what actually ended up happening in uh, 2016. Um, They quote a expert on Russia's spy agencies, He has read the material and he says it absolutely reflects reality. It's consistent with the procedures of the security services and the Security Council. The Kremlin micromanages most of these operations, he says. Putin has made it clear that nothing can be done independently of him. Uh, Wow. The Guardian approached Trump for a comment. He, uh, (laughs) strangely for him, had nothing to say. All these books coming out now from insiders telling us how the 
what was going on in the White House from the time of the election to the time of Biden's inauguration is absolutely terrifying. And there is no doubt that January 6th was an effort to begin a essential overthrow. Um, and news out as well today, uh, according to a book that is yet to be released, uh, that the um, the head of the Joint Chiefs at the time, General Milley, uh, was really freaked about what was happening as he watched Trump uh, claim that, in fact, he had won uh, the election and as very freaked out White House. So not everybody in that White House, you know, was totally as insane as Trump, but they're working for somebody who's insane. And some of them approached Milley and told him that they feared he would try to use the military to uh, stay in office. And Milley said some of he's quoted as saying to his aides that. I'm afraid this is a Reichstag moment. And that is, of course, uh, referring to when uh, the Nazis in 1933 uh, claiming that there had been election uh, fraud, actually, attacked the German parliament, right? Uh, you see any any similarities to what ended up happening January 6th? They attacked the Reichstag, the German parliament, and Hitler used that moment. That was his moment where he was able to seize uh, power. Um I mean, this is so he's the highest ranking military officer in the country, and he's scared. And the book suggests that he felt that he was maybe, and he was being told by people, hey, you're the last one who can secure the country. By the way, this is all based on interviews with more than 140 people, including senior Trump administration officials, friends and advisors. It is written by uh, two uh, sterling uh, journalists. Almost all of the people spoke anonymously <laughs> because they are uh, – betraying this uh, vengeful lunatic who still has extraordinary power. Um, Millie is now refusing to comment, but uh, it appears that, um, wow, I, I just, I, 
you we don't know how close we are and wh- how close we were and what also we don't know is how close we still are really frightening is pointing it at let's see sorry you think my coughing attack has ended now i feel like i'm about to sneeze again uh what else do i have for you here oh i want to tell you that you know yesterday i went out shopping at the grocery store like i have so many times since we all started creeping out of our our self-imposed exiles from life as we knew it. And, um, you know, I've been going in unmasked. Yesterday I wore a mask. And that's because I'm, you know, this Delta thing. And I read an account of a woman who had been vaccinated, who still got it, the Delta, and was really sick. And you know, didn't die, but said, man, be careful. And if you're, if there's any, you know, you don't know who those other unmasked people are in the grocery store. There's probably a lot of uh, vaccinated people. And then there's some who, you know, never wore the masks to start with or really resented it. And now because they don't have to, are out there coughing, sneezing like me, and uh, spreading this crap. So with the news that the Delta thing is starting to explode in parts of uh, the country, and with these now seeing, we're seeing reports from hospitals and doctors saying it's as bad as it was uh, originally, and the only difference is is that it's younger people because the a lot of the older people are vaccinated so they're seeing people in their 20s, 30s and 40s in hospitals intubated and very ill and dying and the one thing all the doctors all around the country who are seeing these things are saying is everyone who's coming in and everyone who's becoming, you know, in ending up in ICU or ending up dead, they're all unvaccinated. So when Fauci talked about two Americas, man, we are seeing it. But my anger at Americans who refuse to vaccinate is growing exponentially. Exponentially. And believe me, they are not all Trumpers. I have someone who was a friend. And I say was. Because I lost total respect for her and her judgment. She's incapable of articulately explaining why she won't get a vaccine. She has said, and get this, she works in health care. Yeah. 
So she says things like, well, I'm not sure that the research, there's enough research. And I'm thinking, who the hell are you? You got some degree in uh, epidemiology or uh, are you expert in vaccines? Uh, what, what do you mean you're not sure? So this refusal to listen to scientists, to doctors, when there's a public health emergency, and this concern that, well, you, we don't understand what this does to our bodies later, and you have to wait to find out. And I'm thinking the selfishness of that, when we know, one thing we know for certain, it's the only thing we know for certain, <clears throat> the only way to get rid of this goddamn thing is to give it no place to feed, to replicate, to do its thing, its lethal, nasty thing. And we know of only one way, and that is for everybody, or close, as close as you can get to everybody, to get vaccinated. Because then it can't find a place and it dies. And all of these, whatever, self-centered or, gee, I was told earlier in the program not to shame people. I know this doesn't help get, make somebody get vaccinated. But if they're willing to die to prove the point, well... I guess, you know, we'll get back to Darwin on survival of the fittest. And we're talking fittest in terms of uh, mental fitness. If you can't recognize your own interests and you mistake your own interests, as my friend does, she thinks she's protecting her body by not letting this vaccine get into it. Uh, and she's no Trumper, as I said. She's more of one of these sort of new agey types who like, and, you know, the anti-vaxxer thing is, you know, big in California and uh, amongst people who are otherwise, you know, liberals and this and that. So there's that whole crowd. And, you know, I was just seeing that in Allegheny County, what, there's, we don't have 70% vaccination in Allegheny County. Um, I think we're closing sort of on 60%. Well, I, that's, why, that's why I wore a mask in the grocery store yesterday. Because just start watching those things tick up and watch more people dying and other idiots refusing to connect the dots. And a lot of people who, you know, said that a lot of us could now relax, take our masks off, 
are now, are now starting to equivocate a little bit. So I'm just saying, I was the only one in the store that I saw with a mask on. And I thought, I don't care. I'll be damned if I'm going to let this thing get in me. I mean, if I have anything that I can do to prevent it. <clears throat> but I guess what people just don't get is that you don't, it's not about you. You are this tiny part of this huge population, like the people of the globe that is under attack. <sighs> All right. Is there anything happy I can? The Milwaukee Bucks evened up the NBA series 2-2. I was trying to think of something happy. I mean, that's happy for me, but might not be for you. <clears throat> and I, I'll be damned. I can't, I can't think of another thing. I have other stuff here, but it's also heavy. <laughs> Oh, here's a quickie. Here's a quickie, and I don't care one way or the other. Uh, I've been reading a lot of stuff about China lately. There is in the Atlantic, if you have access to it, there is a harrowing story of a written by a Uyghur, a man who was a renowned poet there who managed to get out and get to this country. Um, and he wrote about the last three years living in China as a Uyghur, and it is terrifying. And it is every bit as re repulsive and inhumane and this sort of machinery of the state just diabolically deciding to essentially wipe out a whole hunk of its population because of their ethnicity. And a lot of you've heard that there's accounts that, you know, it's like, it's like a genocide going on. And to read a firsthand account, uh, it's uh, written by a person who knows how to write. It's really astonishing. I recommend that. But that was not what I was going to say. China, one of the things in the article, it's so clear that they surveil every square inch of the country. I was talking yesterday about how we're being watched all the time. And here's the other thing. You know what it is? All of this surveillance shit, almost all of it, was developed in this damn country. And then gobbled up by the Communist Party in China to further stick their boots on the necks of their people. The Uyghurs, I mean, you can't imagine what they were made to do so that they could be surveilled in every, every single way.
So anyway, in China, I saw this the other day. And this is something I bet a lot of American parents wish our government would do (laughs) because they don't seem to have any ability to control their children's use of uh, of video game playing. Um, China has now uh, made it illegal for anybody under the age of 18 to play a video game from 10 p.m. to 8 (laughs) a.m., They want them asleep so that they can serve the country later. Now, in China, when they say that, they mean it. And when you say, how the hell are they going to know if some little kid under his blankets is, is playing a video game in China? Oh, they know. Because now... You got to log on. You have to use your real name and you have an, everybody has an identification number. You have to put in your ID number and they will be checking when you're on. So you can't get on without getting a flag and you don't want to get a flag in this country. Believe me. And so when the government says, as it did, Children, put your phones away and go to sleep. Oh, they do. They do. Okay. There you have it. Sorry if I've... I don't know. Information is unsettling. A lot of it. And more so than usual. I I hate to be the purveyor of unsettling information. You can choose to, uh, you know, take it in or you can do what you're seeing so many other Americans do, which is decide that it's just all too much for me. So I will invest and believe in an alternative reality that suits me better. God, it's just unbelievable that somebody, that so many, that millions are willing to surrender their God-given brains. It's really amazing. Okay, goodbye. And I mean it this time. Goodbye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.